Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. And welcome back into the Bama on three show. This is your host, Clint Lamb, sitting here once again with Jimmy Stein. Now, Jimmy, off air, we've been talking for a long time, but now it's time to bring things on the old airwaves um, and and do some live podcasting. So how are you doing? I already know how you're doing. Good. I'm going to go ahead and ask you. You can just let the listener know. How are you doing this morning, man? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. It's going to be disappointing when we don't share all that great inside scoop. We were just we were talking about all the inside scoop, but now we got to shut it down. And no, you, you people don't get to hear the good stuff. Yeah, shut it down like... Uh, like, uh, you know, no, I'm not going to go there. I was going to make some kind of reference, but I will say this. Um, I'm glad you're not struggling as much as anybody that was trying to tackle Derrick Henry last night during that NFL game. What a great game. I mean, it just a reminder of just how fun football is and how great football is. That was a fantastic NFL game between two high-quality teams likely to see each other in the playoffs, and Derrick was just unbelievable, as always. Uh, his, his production, you know, we've talked about it before in our show. I mean, one day, Derek is going to get to make a case that he was the best high school running back of all time, the best college running back of all time, and the best NFL running back of all time. Uh, and, and last night was just more evidence of it. That tweet that you put out this morning on your Twitter about, uh, you know, how he's on pace, you know, to break the single season NFL rushing record. Uh, uh, unbelievable. It is. Um, and, and, you know, uh, so you got the the single the Eric Dickerson single season rushing record that he's currently on pace to break. Now it needs to be you know said that this is in seventeen games now. They're not doing right. the typical sixteen games, but still he's on pace to break that. He's on pace to break CJ um, or excuse me Chris Johnson CJ two K Chris Johnson's uh, yards from scrimmage record, which was just over twenty five hundred. So he's on pace to beat that, and he's on pace to tie uh, Ladanian Tomlinson's touchdown record for a senior uh, single season with 28 touchdowns so he's on pace to break all these records and yet someone like Aaron Rodgers is going to win MVP anyways which makes no sense to me yeah it, it, it's it's out if he if he if he has that type of season if he can keep this up it, it's 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 it can't be viewed as just a quarterback award and hey he in, in college he won the quarterback award I mean the highest point quarterback award and Derek won it anyway he was the last uh, non-quarterback to do so until Devontae Smith a year ago. Yeah, and, and Derek's such a good guy, too. His post-game interview was really good. Uh, yeah, I'm I really, uh, really rooting for him. I am, too, for sure. Uh, today, we got a mailbag, and it was thrown together at the last second. People didn't disappoint, though. You know, late last night, you know, you had asked me, hey, are you going to record tomorrow? And I certainly was, and I said, you know what, let's do a mailbag because we had talked about doing another one that was fun last week. Feel like just the more that we can get people's questions answered you know we can have a an idea of what we want to put out content wise for you guys but sometimes we want you guys driving the content and so that's why we might make these mill bags a little bit more regular because every every week you might have something that you want to get off your chest or something that you want to it, it can be a comment 
or a statement. It could be a question. And so we want to make that a little bit, you know, more regular for people to be able to do that. Um, so we got a mail bag going on today and it should be pretty good, man. We got some good questions. Um, and so we'll kind of just go ahead and dive right in. Uh, the first question is going to be Mike Stein on Twitter asked, why hasn't coach Saban considered considered potentially moving Kendall Randolph from the hybrid tight end position to a full-time offensive lineman? He has a ton of more game experience than some of the players behind Chris Owens on the depth chart. So there wouldn't be as much unknown putting him in over a freshman like Latham or Brock or Meyer. I guess the downside of moving him to tackle could be his size and losing versatility at his current position but I feel like other linemen could potentially take his spot if Randolph became a full-time starter. Love the podcast, Roll Todd. First of all, thank you for listening. Um, I really appreciate that, Mike. And Jimmy, you know, I mean, it, it's a good question, but we've haven't we kind of already seen the Kendall Randolph thing? You know, going into the year, we all thought he was going to be the starting right tackle. That was kind of the plan. And then at the last second, right before Miami, and I remember you were the one of the first people that I saw bring it up, hey, you know, don't be shocked if Chris Owens is the one, you know, because he'd been in that center competition. You said, hey, you know, Alabama's offensive line, it could end up being uh, pretty much everybody we saw, but Darian Dowcourt starting at center and, and Chris Owens at right tackle. And so it was kind of a shock, I think, going in that that uh, Kendall Randolph was not the starting right tackle, um, even the day of the, the first game of the season. So, you know, do you think that that's something that Alabama should explore more, or is it something like, you know, they've kind of already seen it, they saw what he was about, they saw what he would be brought to the table as far as being a right tackle, and they felt like his, you know, he was better suited to be that, you know, kind of hybrid defensive end blocking tight end? Yeah, um, did you say the guy that asked that question is Mike Stein? Is he yes. A, oh, wow, cool. He's my favorite, my favorite follower. Uh, <laughs> I didn't even put two and two together there, by the way. Um all right. Uh, you know, Kendall was the starting right tackle through the entirety of spring practice. Practice one through practice 15. He started at right tackle on a day with the first team. Uh, didn't even play any tight end snaps. He was a full-time offensive tackle. And then, so fall practice starts. And of course, day one, he's the starting right tackle. So they, they took a long look. And then what happened about two weeks before the first game Chris Owens developed uh, an issue snap on the football. We've seen recently Darren Dowcourt having some issues with that, but very similar uh, situation really. But with Chris, it was a little worse. I think he, he started developing a problem with those snaps. Then it became not apparent, but I wondered uh, because of the snaps were so bad. If they went to another center, it would be Dowcourt. And uh, it, it just made sense to me that like, wait, they're not going to bench Chris Owens. He's been playing or starting parts of two to three seasons. He's played every position on the offensive line. And right tackle had been a problem. They had looked at other right tackles other than Kendall. They looked at Damian George there. They looked at J.C. Latham there. They were looking at them while Kendall was the right tackle. And uh, their decision to move Chris Owens to right tackle was basically the end of Kendall at right tackle. So it just seems to me from the outside, they just didn't have a lot of confidence that Kendall could, uh, could hold up. I think part of it is the size, uh, you know, and the poor kid, you know, going back and forth between the offensive line and tight end, his, his weight has probably yo-yoed, you know, uh, it, it's it, it, when he's a tight end, like every other tight end, you know, he wants to catch the ball if possible. He would like to get out there and run a route hard to do that at 310. It's, it's, it's a little easier to do it at 280, but then when you're 280 and now they're like, Hey, you think you can be the full-time right tackle? Well, not at 280. You know, I got to gain some weight back. And 
you know, I, it would be real interesting to ask Kendall, uh, you know, what, what's been your lowest weight at Alabama? What's been your, your biggest weight at Alabama? I think you might be shocked at the fluctuation there, but they, they had a long, it's a, it's a really good question, but they had a long, long look at Kendall at right tackle and decided to go in another direction. They did. And, and you know, you're absolutely right with the yo-yo and weight. I mean, that, that kind of thing happens. Um, you know, my best friend in high school was William Ming and he was a four-star prospect and you know who he is. Ended up going to Alabama, you know, one of the highest rated recruits in Athens football history. Um, and then, of course, everybody saw how that played out. William never really was able to work his way up the depth chart. Um, he was kind of a, a tweener a little bit. I think he probably should have been playing some 4-3 base end uh, in, in Alabama's 3-4 defense. They tried him out as an interior defensive lineman. I don't think he had the 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 mass uh, or the the he was a very naturally strong kid. But... Uh, you know, I don't think that he was as strong as some of these other guys that can hold up at the point of attack as an interior lineman. Later on in his career, they tried to switch him out to outside linebacker. He had been trying to add mass so he can, you know, hold up better. And then all of a sudden he gets switched outside linebacker and, you know, he, he's trying to drop weight. And, you know, I remember at one point when he got moved outside linebacker, you know, him and I were talking and he said, Clint, I, I can't do athletically what some of these guys here can do. That, that's just the bottom line. And I mean, you know, it, and you think about the other players that were playing the position who were just very athletic outside linebackers. That wasn't really William. Um, and so, you know, he was just bounced back and forth between those two positions. And it was constantly him trying to lose weight to get ready for one. You know, you, know, you're, you can't be 285, 290 pounds playing outside linebacker. You can't be, you know, 260 pounds trying to play an interior defensive lineman spot. So, that, that kind of thing happens, and they were trying to figure out a good spot. Personally, in hindsight, uh, based off of what we saw from him in high school, I think he would have been a, a great tight end. And going into his final year, you know, they do like a coaches meeting where Nick, I think, when, uh, Saban will meet with all the, the players, and I think they met for that last year, and they talked about maybe moving him to tight end. And by that point, um, you know, it was your one final season, you're pretty far down the depth chart. There wasn't really a point in making the change at that point. So that, I think they decided against it, but – that's something that Ken Randolph has kind of been battling too. Now, granted, he's been you know doing the playing time thing. Uh, he's gotten plenty of action. He sees action on a week to week basis, and that's fantastic. So, but having to go back and forth, <clears throat> I think, is a a difficult thing. A lot more difficult than people realize. So the fact he's, is, con he's contributing. I mean, he may, he he helps the way 100%. I would. Just, he helps us win the games. He helps us win the games. He plays. He's a first team player. I've, I've done these these rants before about. Who's you know who's a starter and who's on the first team? Those are two different questions. There's you know whoever starts is obviously who trots out there on the first snap of the game uh, on offense or defense. But as far as I'm concerned, if you play with the ones, if you play with the first team, you're a first team football player. And Kendall Randolph is on the first team. When we go to goal line and short yardage, he's out there with Bryce. That means you're on the first team. 100. Just because based off of, uh, you know, the formation you plan on using to start the game, um, you know, you, you might not be out there, but if you end up playing, you know, uh, a decent amount of snaps because your role is important and you're the first team guy in those formations or in, in you know, uh, those alignments or whatever you want to call it, then, yeah, I, I, I completely agree. That's a great way of looking at it, and I think not enough people do look at it that way. Um, and what so, if Jameson returns the opening kickoff 98 yards and somehow gets tackled at the two. Well, Kendall's starting the game because we're going to start out. And, and Jameson's probably not. And Jameson may, 
That's exactly right. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's more of a vertical threat. You probably have met you who's better on the short yardage stuff. So, yeah, I mean, we're sure. going to call it, say, you know, well, Jameson's no longer a starter. Uh, he's definitely a starter. Yeah, so people look to, to just, it, to me, it's just, do you play with the first team? Those yeah. guys, you can call them starters or whatever you want. But if you play with the first team in any personnel package, to me, you're a starter because who knows how you're going to start the game out. Great point. All right, we'll move on to the next question. Mikey B-Ball, because this is somewhat similar. In fact, I probably could have read these together. Um, but on Twitter, he asked, with the O-line struggling this year, is it a talent issue or is it Marone? I believe he's a good offensive line coach, but are his blocking schemes more complicated maybe? Stellar line play last year, lots of NFL guys, no offense to the guys this year at all, big shoes to fill. Yeah, I mean, he, I think he answered his own question quite a bit. Look, we're not trying to be mean or insulting to anyone, but uh, Landon Dickerson is a starting offensive lineman in the NFL started uh, this weekend for the Eagles at guard uh, or in the last Eagles game, I guess it was last Thursday, started at left guard. He's played center, but he's a starting offensive lineman in the NFL. He's been replaced by Darian Dalcourt, who's in his first year starting and is a year three guy. And although he was highly thought of in recruiting, you know, Landon was a five-star. People don't really remember. I mean, Landon was – well, he was a high four. But but Landon was a highly recruited offensive lineman that signed with Florida State out of North Carolina. Could have signed with anybody he wanted. Um, so so I, I wouldn't say we've gone backwards there. But, but I mean, look, we replaced a uh, ready-for-the-NFL guy with a first-year redshirt sophomore. Uh, you know, at one guard spot, Deontay Brown – who started at Alabama for three years and and is you know 360 pounds and now plays for the Panthers. He's replaced by Javion Cohen, who's a true sophomore. Uh, and and then lastly, Alex Leatherwood, who started this weekend for the Raiders for the Raiders at guard and graded at 70 percent. At, at, at you know he's replaced really by Chris Owens, uh, who's much smaller and shorter and not doesn't have his length. I mean that's that's the three guys we lost in the three guys we replaced them with uh it's just a step back at all three spots and here's the thing too um i think you were in a in an odd situation if you're alabama's offensive line where you have guys who have experience that were coming back a kendall randolph a chris owens but they're guys much later in their career it kind of goes back to what you were talking about as far as if a guy's not heavily contributing by year three more than likely it's not going to happen moving forward. Well, that, you know, in Randolph was, was pretty much doing what he's doing now uh, a couple of years ago. He's been doing it for a while. Chris Owens, uh, you know, he's seen time at left tackle. He's seen time at center, and he's had some pretty good performances there. But there was a reason that he didn't become a, a starter a lot sooner. And, you know, because there's limitations, you know, very experienced guy, very, you know, if, uh, he's, a, he's a technician. He tries to maximize his ability but he doesn't have the raw ability that a lot of these other guys have. So you have, you know, we, we looked at it and we said, well, they're returning a guy who's got experience in Chris Owens. You got Evan Neal coming back. You got Emil Ikior Jr. coming back. Um, you got Kendall Randolph, who has experience as far as being a blocking tight end. Now you're moving him to offensive line. So you really got five guys, you know, that, that have some, some experience. But I think that it was not quite there. You know, you had Evan Neal and, and you had Emil Ikior Jr. Those were your two true guys who had true, you know, they stepped up and took starting jobs at an early age because they were very, very good players. Um, so you had, you know, some of the, some of it is you had a mix of the, that experience and then you had a mix of youth that is very talented, but it's not ready. You know, you, not everybody's going to be 
Alex Leatherwood or Jedrick Wills, you know, by the end of that season, they were ready to step into starting roles or, you know, a Cam Robinson or an Evan Neal. Some guys progress slower than others. And, and I think it's something that we're doing also, you know, to other players at other positions where, you know, just because that they're not, you know, Alabama's group of true freshman receivers back when it was Jerry Judy, Devontae Smith, and, and Henry Ruggs III, those guys were all ready to contribute right away. You know, and it just so happened that it was pretty much the entire group were ready to make contributions because fans aren't seeing the younger guys this year, the, the, the Ajayi Halls, the Ja'Cory Brookses, the Christian Learys. You know, you see some JoJo Earl, but he's the only one out of that foursome because you're not seeing them make the same sort of impact, uh, you know, because I kind of predicted that over the course of this season, you start to get those young guys more and more involved. And we haven't seen that. The reason for that is more than likely because they're not developing at the same pace as those other guys. By the time that they're juniors, they could be every bit as good as those other guys, or they could not. We don't know, but just because they're not, you know, ready in year one, as some of those other players do not, does not necessarily mean that they're, oh, well, these guys are just going to be bust. And it's the same way with the offensive line. J.C. Latham is progressing how he's progressing, and he will become a starter when he's ready to become a starter. Or he won't. Maybe he never makes that progress. There are plenty of other players who never end up taking that step. But it's, it's just because it's not happening doesn't mean that he's going to be one of these other guys that just never turns out. And Tommy Brockermeyer is not the second coming of Tyler Love necessarily just because he's not becoming a true freshman starter. Um, you know, and so – it's, I just think it's an interesting mix between that youth and the experience that they actually did have, and they're trying to just find, okay, when is this guy going to be ready compared to, okay, this is the guy who we know what he's going to give us every Saturday. We know it's going to be consistent. It might not be great, but we know what we're getting. You know, J.C. Latham, he could be great on three snaps, bad on two, and those two snaps can get Bryce Young hurt. You know, you, uh, you know if he completely screws up, Something really, really bad can happen. And I understand the way that Chris Owens has gotten beat a couple times. You say, well, he can get him hurt too, sure. But the point is, is that the coaching staff sees what's happening behind the scenes, and it's just a very interesting dynamic as far as they return two true offensive line starters from last year. That is it. They lost three of them. So this group is not going to be as good as it was last year. They're still still figuring some things out. I think by the time that you reach, you know, if you end up playing George in the SEC championship, I think that offensive line is going to be much better for one reason or another, whether it's guys getting more experience and becoming better or that by that point, other guys have taken over, whatever it ends up being. I think you see, you know, a better offensive line, but for right now, um, you know, that's, it, it's, it's a tough question to answer. Yeah. And, and, you know, he, he mentioned the, uh, the, the, the guy that asked question, Mikey, he, he uh, mentioned Doug Marone. Look, look, there's no questioning Doug Marone's credentials coaching the offensive line. I mean, literally one of the best offensive line coaches in the United States, college or pro. I, I don't question at all. And whether it's complicated or not, look, that's a little over kind of all of our heads. I'm sure there is quite a bit of level of complication. I know Nick Saban kept the same system he had with the Miami Dolphins when he came to Alabama. He didn't change it because he was in college football. I'm sure Doug Marone is teaching NFL concepts to our offensive line. And, hey, that's fine. Some people have to remember this. Yeah, when it's complicated, it's a lot on the kids mentally. It really is. But but being complicated is good. It's not bad. Do you really want our opposition, when they do film study, do you really want them to watch tape of Alabama and go, look what they're doing. It's so simple. Yep. <laughs> you don't want them to watch and go, oh, I know exactly what they're doing. That looks like what, what we did in the 10th grade at Jess Lanier. I mean, that, that's not good. Being simple might be easy for our kids, 
it also makes it easy for the opposition. Being simple is not a solution to everything. It creates as many problems as it solves. Uh, I think the kids are handling it mentally just fine. And the offensive line is one thing. Hey, look, we're in game seven. Like Clint just pointed out, we'll be better by the Georgia game. We're better today than we were against Miami. We already are better. The offensive line to me has made clear progression. Now, is it is it going great? Uh, one of the things we're keeping up with on the message board at the Bama on three message board site is uh, we've done this from week one. We think it's a, a real good way to look at the team. We have tracked every time the staff names a player of the week, we keep a running tote board. So we see each time how many players on the team have been named a player of the week. And you can really now after seven games, you really start to see patterns and things emerge. And one thing that's really interesting is that of the five starting offensive linemen, uh, only two of them have been named a player of the week more than once. And that's Evan Neal, who's been named a player of the week, I think three times off the top of my head. And Darren Dalcourt has been named a player of the week twice. Uh, the other three guys just once. And uh, that that's fewer times than most of the starters on offense and defense. So even our own staff uh, hasn't been quick to uh, give that group a lot of praise beyond Evan Neal. So we're not dumb as fans to point it out as an, uh, as an area that needs work. I think the staff themselves have, have agreed with us by how they hand out the player of the week awards, but I know this for sure. We're a better group now than we were against Miami and we'll be even better uh, by late November. And the other thing too, that I've heard from at least a few fans, um, several actually, What's going on with Emil Ikior Jr.? He's just not as good as he was last year. He's playing between Darian Dalcourt and Chris Owens this year. Last year, he's playing between Landon Dickerson and Evan Neal. You know, that's going to make answer. Yeah, that's a explains everything. I mean, it does uh, because uh, when you're when that's the two guys on either side of you, it things are a lot easier. And that's not a knock on Chris Owens and Darian Dalcourt. That is speaking to the talent of Evan Neal, who's probably going to be a top ten pick. Um, and, 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 uh, Landon Dickerson, who was a top, I think he went number 37 overall. So a very early second round pick, and he would have probably went first round had it not been for a knee injury. So that's two first round guys that he was playing between last year. And, you know, now he's the one that has to be the anchor of the group. And he's still, I think he's still the same player. I still think he's a good player. Do I think he's going to be an elite guy who's going to elevate the guys on either side of him? No, but as the, the, the center position continues to figure things out, as the right tackle position continues to figure things out, I think you're going to start, you know, noticing that Emil Ikior is playing a lot better as well. So that's just, you know, I've gotten that question several times, and I don't think it's, you know, fair. Um, but anyways. And it could be, I, I don't, if he has an injury, it's unknown to me. But, hey, it's, that's, that's not a first that we hear of one of our guys being hurt, you know, when the season's over. I don't think he's hurt. I think it's exactly what – what Clint is saying is that his environment has changed. His playing situation has changed a lot. It makes no sense for an offensive lineman to go backwards, meaning that how could he not be as good of a player as he was a year ago in terms of getting his guys blocked? I I, I don't believe that. I just think it's just a, a matter of who was next to him last year and, and who's next to him right now. Hey, there, there's a lot more on him right now, and, and, and that can cause – you know, that can cause you to, you to not play as well physically when you're mentally overloaded. Hey, for all we know, Dalcourt down there is at center who's got to make the line calls because he's in the middle of the offensive line. I wonder how many times a game he looks over to Meal and goes, what do I do? I mean, that, that probably happens. I'm sure it does, yeah. I mean, and so, you know, that's um, 
at least something that I, I felt the need to defend Emil Ikior because I, I from I went back and looked and, and there's been I mean I, but I saw him missing blocks last year too but you know other guys were you know manhandling their guys and creating holes that you know would kind of compensate and it doesn't mean that Emil Ikior is a bad offensive lineman I think he's a good one. Uh, I just think last year he maybe looked even a little bit better than he was, and this year, because of the talent on either side of him, he might look a little worse than he actually is. But he's a good offensive lineman, and he's still the same player. So next question, uh, after a Ajay- which is B. MacLeod on Twitter, after uh, Ajay Hall's 8A performance and everyone's saying he's the real deal preseason, why hasn't he seen the field more? Is he transferring? Well, as uh, maybe the, the second one, you can never rule out. Uh, I, I wouldn't want to bet today whether a Jai's with Alabama next season or not uh, with the transfer portal and no one penalized for transferring. And he was here during the COVID year, which means he's got six years and not five. Uh, yeah, had all that stuff up. And I wouldn't be shocked if he left. I would say that of a handful of our young receivers who haven't played. Uh, look, a couple of things, and I do have a lot to say about this, but a couple of things. Number one, I, I saw the A-Day, too, like everybody else, and I was really impressed with what Ajay did on A-Day, no doubt, because he, he ran good routes, he caught the ball, he made plays, he made something happen. But keep in mind, Ajay played with the second team on A-Day. That means he was going up against Alabama's second team. And Alabama's second team this spring was actually the third team because we had about eight guys sitting out, and then a few guys had a, an illness issue that we're not supposed to talk about on a day day. So we're down about 12 or 13 guys that are supposed to be starters that weren't out there. And he's playing against the second team. So always pay attention in these scrimmage situations. I've learned a long time ago. I've been able to watch Alabama scrimmage for several years, pay attention to who they're doing it against. If they're beaten up on the first team guys, they're probably really good. If they're beaten up on the second and third team guys, hit the brakes a little bit before you think that they're, really, really great. Ajay was not beating Josh Job or even Jalen Armour Davis for those yards. He was beaten up on Alabama's freshman when he was doing that. Now, secondly, that isn't to say that Ajay is overrated and he's not a good player. Of course he is. He has all the talent in the world. That's why we signed him in the first place. Uh, but he actually didn't have a great fall camp. I don't know where talk of that came from. It's not true. He wasn't lighting up the fall scrimmages. In fact, he barely played with the with the ones in those scrimmages at all. Uh, he, he didn't have a great fall camp and then disappear. He just had a kind of a quiet fall camp that led into uh, him not playing in the initial games. As far as his uh, his uh, behavior on Saturday or his tweet, uh, you know, he, he obviously got frustrated. And, and these days, kids get frustrated and they have access to a, a microphone. They, ha- they can talk to all of the fans now. Guys, guys, this didn't happen in the 50s and the 60s and the 70s. You know what we had back then? Frustrated kids who weren't playing, but they didn't have Twitter. They didn't have Facebook. They didn't have Instagram to, to talk to everybody about how pissed and frustrated they are. Uh, Ajay uh, was frustrated over not playing, and he had access to, to, to Twitter, Instagram, wherever he posted what he posted. Uh, I, I think that, that that's just a product of 2021. It's it, it's not unique to a Jai. It's not unique to the team. I'm sure there are other guys on the team who are also frustrated over not getting to play. Uh, they just haven't run to Twitter just yet. Um, I, I think we make too much of, of, of what a Jai said. Everything's fine. He's back at practice. 
even on Sunday afternoon, watching film with the, with the guys and back at practice yesterday, Monday, like none of this happened. He apparently had a talk with Saban because he's, he has a new tweet where he quotes coach Saban about, you know, just, 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 just basically uh, creating value for himself. And, and, and that means not, not spouting off and, and becoming sort of the, uh, the bad guy. Uh, I think Ajay has a really bright future. He just needs to be patient. I, I understand how hard it is to be such a badass athlete your entire life and, 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 and you get promoted and you go up and up and up. And now you're finally reached a level where you're not the best player on the team. You're not Jamison Williams. You're not John Mechie. He's going to have to develop and wait his turn and be patient. But uh, don't make too much of it uh, is what I would say. Uh, but at the same time, if he transfers, am I going to be shocked? Uh, of course not. I think that's a great way to put it. Um, I think you pretty much covered everything there. Now, granted, um, I do like the fact that John Mechie was asked about it after the game uh, yeah. because you're talking about a guy who dealt with something similar. Now, granted, John Mechie had four first-round picks ahead of him on the depth chart, so it was a little easier for him to say, I, I get it. Um, if you're a Jai Hall, people keep talking about, oh, the, you know, these Alabama receivers – have been struggling and it, it's like you're reading this stuff or you're or you're hearing about this stuff and you're like, well, I wouldn't be struggling because he believes in his own talent. Whether he would be or wouldn't be is not the question. He believes that he wouldn't be. Um, he believes he would be making plays um, if he was getting utilized. And that's frustrating. Now, granted, he picked a game after John Mechie had his best game of the season. Davidson Williams had two catches for 77 yards and <clears throat> including a 75-yard touchdown. And, you know, Treshawn Holden even being a, a guy who has been the number, you know, four or five, you know, receiver, uh, you know, having a, a great game himself, you know, three catches for, I think, 70 yards and a touchdown. So, you know, I don't think that the timing was great, but, you know, John Mechie being asked, John Mechie was a Jai Hall. If you remember, when he was a true freshman, he had a great 8A performance, and everybody thought this guy is ready to contribute right now. And guess what? He sat on the bench all year because of the talent that was ahead of him. Uh, and he, and I'm sure that, when, you know, when he got a taste of how, he was ready to contribute, even if he did have that much talent ahead of him. I'm sure it was probably still frustrating for him to sit there and say, man, I feel like I could be helping this team right now. And, be, okay, if they got a ton of talent in front of me, I, I mean, I feel like I could go somewhere else and, and contribute immediately. You know, I'm sure thoughts like that probably cross a lot of people's minds. I'm not necessarily saying it was John Mechie that had those thoughts. He may have, he may have not have. But the point is, I thought he was the perfect person to ask or one of the perfect people to ask because – he is one of those people that had to say, I'm in Alabama. There is a lot of talent on this roster. As good as I am, I need to wait my turn. And when I get my opportunity, which was last year in his second year, he had close to 1,000 yards receiving. He had six touchdowns. He was a huge contributor. He now is the number one guy, and he, there's been struggles, You know, we think probably because of the injuries that he, that he had been dealing with. But we finally saw him start to break out on Saturday. We hope that that continues. But he is now, the, you know, one of the guys on offense. And Ajayi Hall needs to take the same approach. You know, he will eventually, in my opinion, because of his talent, he will eventually be one of the guys. But, um, you know, it's not just about you making these acrobatic catches. And that's what Nick Saban talked about when he got asked about it yesterday in his, his press conference. You know, it, it's like, hey, you got to impress us. And it's not just impressing us by going making some crazy catch. They didn't, I'm not exactly quoting Saban. I'm just adding to it pretty much based off of what I took away from it. But, you know, it, I think that the point he was getting at is it's not about just going to make some kind of crazy play. Uh, that's great, but what are you doing when the ball's not in your hands? You know, how how consistent are you when you're running your routes? Can we trust you to run the correct route on the correct depth uh, on a consistent basis? You know, if you don't have that trust, then it, it's difficult. So, 
you know, I, I think Ajayi Hall is just somebody that needs to say, okay, what can I do to give them absolutely no reason to keep me off this field? And that, that mean needs to be, hey, every time I run a route, it needs to be the best possible route that I can possibly run. When I don't have the ball in my hands, I'm blocking my tail off in practice, trying to, you know, create lanes for the scout team running back. You know, there's things that Ajayi Hall can control. And I think maybe, maybe right now he thinks because I can go out there and make some just incredible catches that I don't think anybody else in this team can make, I should be getting playing time. And there's so much more to it, especially at a place like Alabama. At, at another school, sure, you could probably get by with that. But at the same time, what that, but what asking him these things or demanding these things of him will do is that will make him a better player in the long run. Uh, and that's what helps a lot of these Alabama players who choose to buy in. I'm not going to sit here and say that I think he's definitely going to buy in. He's going to be around for the long haul. I can't definitively say that one way or the other. But I do believe that he's in a much better headspace today than he was following the game on Saturday, and hopefully he's willing to stick around. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's easy, it's easy to guess, Clint, that Nick Saban has been asked about a Jai Hall many times because of a, a because of his standout performance on A Day, created some level of expectation in the fan base or even in the media that a Jai would be a big part of things this fall. And, and, and that hasn't been the case. But when Nick is asked about a Jai Hall, he says he uses words like trustworthy and dependable, and, and someone has needs to prove someone has to prove that they're trustworthy and dependable. And then a Jai kind of goes off on Twitter Saturday with his frustration, basically telling everyone that he's quitting the team. That's really what he, what he said, you know, in, in those tweets. And I would imagine when uh, coach Saban met with him on Sunday about what had happened, it probably started out with the fact, you know, when I say that I can't trust you and that you're not dependable and then you do something like you did yesterday, do you see what I'm talking about? You see what I'm talking Good about? Point. Cause we're the independable. He wouldn't have, he wouldn't have run, run to Twitter. So it, it's really about that more than anything else they have to trust him uh you know they they trust slade they trust slade uh uh and and he is dependable he's not flashy he's not gonna play in the national football league he's not uh, one of our premier athletes on the team but they trust him and he is dependable and when people don't believe what i'm saying that watch this it's gonna be third and five in the georgia game and and we need a first down we got to punt the ball and they're gonna throw it slade is he gonna catch it I bet he does. I bet he does. Would, would I say the same exact thing right now about a Jai Hall? No, no. And some no. people are, are would say, well, I mean, he, you know, Slade's been dropping some passes. Now, let me tell you this. There's, there's also there's being trustworthy and dependable, and then there's also being accountable. And how did, did Slade approach dropping that ball? He took responsibility for it. His teammates can trust when he makes a mistake – he owns up to his mistake and he works on fixing it. And that it, that plays into the equation as well. It's not just saying, oh, you know, he dropped a pass, so I don't think he necessarily would catch the next one. It's, well, you trust the fact that he's going to do everything he can from the time he dropped that football to the next time he has the opportunity to catch a football in that sure. situation to, to, to get it done the next time around. And I remember watching, he, he specifically, that he was, he specifically faced the media on Monday. He was one of the he players. Did. 
Yeah, on Monday, they put him in front of the media after that big drop, which means they trust him. And then he got asked the question, which was the right question. The, the media member was right to ask him that question about, wow, you dropped a ball in the end zone. What's up with that? And what was Slade's first thing he said out of his mouth? I remember him saying, I'm glad you asked me that question. Yep. He, he wanted to talk about it. And he wanted to admit that he made a mistake. And then he stood up for himself and said, that was a bad play. I normally don't do that. You can't find many times in my career where I've dropped a ball here. That's not me. And you can tell he put it behind him. He was ready to catch the next ball. And he did catch that ball Saturday when the officials took it away from him. He yeah. caught that ball. I don't care what the replay. He, he caught the ball. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, so, I mean, that's a great point. Um, and it's just a, it's a difference in mentality. And I don't know, um, you know, instead of on Saturday, was Ajayi Hall sitting in the locker room asking himself, why am I not playing? You know, it, it, what, what can I do to change my circumstances? Or was he saying, I can't believe the coaches are doing this to me. Uh, y'all need to be playing me more. <laughs> That's exactly. And, and again, it gets back. People believe this because, you know, in, in our heads as fans, the best player is the one we haven't seen yet. But literally, I mean, third and six, and we need the catch to beat Georgia. I mean, I, I trust Slade. I, I don't trust Ajayi Hall to make that catch. Not, not right now. Yeah, He's not yet. He's not yet. He's it to us and and a day doesn't count that didn't count yes uh, so yeah great conversation and speaking of true freshman re receivers uh here's another one uh garrett alley on twitter asked will we see jacory brooks more in the future and the way that you phrase this question it's very easy to answer because in the future it can mean a lot of things that absolutely we're going to see jacory brooks at some point in the future now but yeah. i understand what you mean you mean more so probably this season uh, i think everybody knows in the future as long as he pans out, we're going to see a lot more of him. Um, so I'm, I'm, I was just kidding with that answer. But, uh, you know, personally for me, I, I think so. Uh, I mean, he, he seems to be the guy who is doing the right things behind the scenes. He, he's willing to go out there on special teams and work his tail off to make an impact in any way that he possibly can, and the coaches are taking notice. And does that mean that uh, just because he's willing to try very hard on special teams that they're gonna, they feel like he's ready to be a great receiver and contribute? No, not necessarily. But as long as he's – if he's taking the same approach to getting better at playing receiver as he is at making an impact on special teams, my guess is that he's probably making a lot of progress behind the scenes playing wide receiver. That's exactly right. Look, it's, what a great segue after talking about Ajay. Here's another freshman receiver who was highly recruited. In fact, Ja'Cory Brooks was rated higher than Ajay Hall as a receiver coming out of high school. Brooks was a five-star by most services, including on three. Uh, Ja'Cory Brooks – uh, is a fantastic prospect who hadn't played at all. He didn't have a big A-Day. He had a quiet spring, actually, while Ajay had that big headline-making A-Day. But here's a kid doing it different than Ajay. Instead of complaining publicly that he's not getting playing time, what do he do? He's on special teams making plays, helping us win the game. He's finding a way to help his team and has now twice in a row been named a special teams player of the week by the staff. So, yeah. They've noticed, and they've noticed good things. I have no doubt Ja'Cory Brooks is going to be a big part of things. Now, is it going to be this season? I don't know. Now wide receivers getting a little crowded because you got J-Mo, you got Mechie, you know Slade Bolden's going to play some type of role, and now Treshawn Holden has earned a spot in that first rotation with his performance. So now, you know, would they have five receivers if Brooks is the fifth one playing a lot? I don't know about that, but what I do know is – the staff has noticed Ja'Cory Brooks' positive contribution to the football team through special teams. I have no doubt uh, a kid with an attitude like that and the natural talent he has, he, he's going to be a big deal here. It just might be a little down the road. 
Yeah. And, 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 you know, just running down the list, you know, John Mechie, Jamison Williams, Slade Bolden, uh, whether you want him to be contributing or not, he's going to be in the mix in some way, shape, form, or fashion. You might say, oh, I, I like the talent of Ja'Cory Brooks more, so I want him over Slade Bolden. Not going to happen. Slade's going to be involved. So that's three. You got JoJo Earl. You got Treshawn Holden. That's five receivers now. So I think the best that Ja'Cory could be looking at is wide receiver six. Um, and and so that's not going to present a lot of opportunities. But, you know, uh, John Mechie, he's an upperclassman. I don't know if he's necessarily going to leave early. A lot of people assume that he was going to. I don't think he's quite had the season that he wanted to, but it's also how he finishes. There's still a lot of season left. Um, now that he's starting to get healthy, and if he plays like he did on Saturday, it's very possible he could leave. You know, Jamison Williams, the way he's playing, it's very possible that he could end up leaving. I mean, he's a junior. He should have another year of eligibility, but he's playing extremely well. And so, um, you know, I think that, you know, people are even talking – uh, about maybe him potentially being a first-round pick. And so he would probably be gone at that point. Slade's getting up there in age. So Ja'Cory, while it might not be this year, there's got to be that next wave of guys. And I think that he's certainly going to be a part of that. And I think Ajayi Hall can be a part of that too. But he's just got to understand, you know, I feel like that you have two guys who are in the same situation. And I don't think Ajayi can look over there, Ja'Cory Brooks, and say, I'm way better than him. You know, uh, you know, I think that uh, you might think you're better, but you're, I don't think you're saying I'm, I'm light years ahead of this guy. I think talent wise, they're both pretty similar and they're just taking a very different approach. And I think that the correct, my hope is that Ajayi sees the way that Ja'Cory is handling the, you know, being in his situation and he kind of adopts a similar philosophy. I think both these guys can be a huge part of Alabama's offense in the future. Uh, you just gotta, it's, it's the process and you gotta wait your turn. Uh, that's just, that's part of it. Um, and I'm sure that Ajayi Hall, he might have come to Alabama because they were losing all that talent, and he thought, oh, I'll be able to come in and, and play immediately. And if he did that, I guarantee you the coaching staff didn't make any of those promises, but it just it didn't work out that way. And then Jamison Williams comes in, and, and maybe, you know, either way, there's a, there's a way to approach it that's correct, and there's a way to approach it that's not correct. And, and I, I guarantee you nobody has ever been, and there's not, never been a single player that has addressed the situation the way that Ajayi Hall did on Saturday night, and it worked out in their favor by them doing that. Never. Um, so, you know, it's not like Alabama staff. First of all, if they if they took, you know, that threat and said, okay, well, we got to get Ajayi Hall on the field because he went to Twitter and he, you know, threatened to leave or he said he's leaving. Every player would do that at that point. So, I mean, it, it would not be the correct. Ajayi has just made his own path to playing time that much more difficult with what he did. So, um, you know, uh, we'll, we'll stop harping on that. Uh, you got anything else to one add? Quick, yeah. One quick defense of, of the job because I've been kind of hard on him and, and, and he, he bought that on himself a little bit, but one, one thing in his defense is um, probably not everybody knows, but, but a lot of people know a is a dad, you know, he's got a young baby. Uh, he's a good dad. He, he dotes on his kid. He's trying to take care of his kid. He, he might feel because he's young, a little more pressure to play. Uh, for that reason that like, Hey, I, I've got to support my family. I've got to be a prominent player here, make NIL money. Uh, that's hard to do when you're on the bench, you know, Mechie and JMO are probably making some NIL money uh, because they're out there on TV every Saturday night. A John might feel a little more pressure being a young dad and, uh, and maybe that pressure gets to him and that that's understandable. Look, he's not a, he's not a bad kid by any means. He's just, he's just been impatient and, uh, Hey, uh, I, I wouldn't have been able to handle uh, what he has to handle at 18. So, uh, so maybe we're being a little hard on him, but uh, he, he's got a really bright future. I think he's going to be a great player. Uh, I hope it's here. And uh, uh, you know, we, we we've developed players in that position so well. I hope he trusts that, and uh, and things work out. 
you know what? That's a great point. And the whole dad aspect that adds something to it. You know, it's, you're not just living for you. You know, I'm 31 years old now. Um, and, and I'm at this point, you know, got a girlfriend, but at this, I, you know, I don't have kids. Um, I'm living for me. You know, if something doesn't work out, I'm the one that's responsible and I'm the one that's got to pay for it. You know, when, when, if it doesn't work out for a guy, he's got a kid and that it affects that kid's future. So that's a great point. It's something that's worth bringing up because that adds more emotion and, and more reasoning behind it. And I mean, he was a great part of the recruiting class when it, you know, he was, had a great attitude when, you know, recruiting guys trying to get players to, you know, to come with him to Alabama. He was, you know, everybody was bragging on him, you know, being a, a great recruiter once he committed. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I think that you're right. I think a lot of it is just a lot of pressure on him and he wants to perform and, and, and help provide for his family. So, and that's something that you couldn't help before. And that's something that NIL now changes, you know, you, you didn't have a choice. You weren't getting, you weren't getting paid, um, you know, outside of the, the standard stuff that you would get with scholarships and, and, you know, room and board and all that stuff before. Now, if you're on the field and you're getting to make an impact, you can take care of your family right now. And, you know, that puts more pressure on guys to not, you know, even if he was on the field, it would be, you know, he would be a, a, a receiver that's playing for Alabama rather than a guy who's just a depth guy. So, um, spend a ton of time on that, but certainly worth, you know, kind of working our way through that entire process, because I think for a lot of people, they felt similarly to us. And so us just kind of working through that and, and giving both sides of it, hopefully that helps answer both of those questions for both Corey Brooks and for Ajay Hall. Next question on the list is Wendy Belindy, which is, an, you know, I don't know if that's her name. I'm guessing it's just a play on things, but uh, if it's not, it's incredible. Uh, so Wendy Belindy on Twitter asked, it seems Bama plays well one game and the next game they take off. How focused do you think they are for UT and which Bama team do you expect to show up on Saturday? Uh, I don't know. I, I think we've been a little more consistent than that. I, I think we haven't played great for for 60 minutes in a game until last week. And Nick Saban himself, I think, uh, said yesterday in his, in his media time, um, hey, let, let's play. You know, we, we need to find out if that's who we are. You know, a, a, a team that now is going to play well for 60 minutes. I think Tennessee's coming at a weird time. We just played probably our best game of the season. Uh, Tennessee had all that weirdness in their game. Look, we got an off week coming up. These are kids. Uh, they're looking forward to that off week. They get two or three days off from football. Uh, they'll get to go home uh, on the weekend. Uh, if, if they live close to home, they'll, they'll get to go home uh, for Halloween weekend. They're looking forward to that. Uh, so there are things in place here that make me wonder whether we are going to play a great game Saturday. But I think the loss to AM is still a fresh wound. And for that reason alone, I actually expect Alabama to play well. Uh, we'll, we'll get into the matchup with Tennessee, I think, on the next show. But, you know, Tennessee has played better than they had been playing, but they still lack dudes. They still lack uh, elite talent. Uh, I, I think, you know, I, I'm expecting Alabama to play well and win easily. Uh, am I expecting Alabama to play absolutely as well as they did against Mississippi State? Maybe not. I think with the off week ahead, there might be too many of them sort of looking forward to getting some time off. They've been going at it really hard for four weeks prior to the season starting. And, uh, and, and a few of them are probably looking forward to some time off. Even guys that are playing probably will, will, uh, will, will look forward to this rest. Brian Robinson being a, a key name of a guy who's probably not on the injury report, 
but uh, he probably needs a break, you know? So, so uh, I, I think with the off week coming up, maybe this won't be the sharpest, best performance of the season, but, but to answer Wendy's question, uh, I think gaining consistency is something Nick would like to see. And I think we're on the right track, but that doesn't mean that the ascent to consistency is a straight linear line. I, I think there's still some, some bumps along the way. You know, this is going to make me sound absolutely terrible because it's just complaining to complain, but I'm not happy that the, the bye week's coming during Halloween. Um, I know that like my, you know, my girlfriend's happy because she's like, hey, we get to go to this Halloween party because, uh, you know, you won't be having to travel or whatever. And I'm like, I just would love to just stay home and watch college football all day on a Saturday. You know, when you when you drive to even when you drive to Bryant Denny, you got to drive back. Um, you know, it's just you end up missing a lot of college football. And I spend Sundays watching stuff that I already know the results to. Um, and so I, when, when I started looking at the schedule, I was like, Man, it's because what's going to happen is probably around two or three on Saturday, um, you know, right right before that second wave of games, it's going to be like, let's start getting dressed, getting in costumes. You know, you know, uh, my brother, I'm sure, will be hitting me up, wanting us to come pregame and hang out with everybody. And I'm going to be like, look, there better be a lot of TVs on over there, um, and just don't expect uh, too much from me because I'm just going. I would love to just take a Saturday and just chill, get up, watch college game day, do the whole thing. Uh, but we're so fortunate what we get to do on a weekend, week out basis. So, yeah, I can't complain much. I mean, I, I would, I would much rather be doing this than anything I was doing. But I just, uh, when I saw that Halloween, I was like, I kind of would just rather have a built-in excuse of missing the Halloween party and <laughs> saying, oh, I got to travel uh, to to Starkville this weekend. Uh, I won't, I won't be able to make it. And then the next week, getting to stay home all day and watch college football because that's what it's all about. Um, but you know, as far as Alabama's concerned. I do think that they saw a blueprint last week on how they can approach, how they need to approach leading up to a game to help them have results on Saturday. Now that they have that blueprint, they kind of a lot of these guys who did, had not experienced that really yet understand what it takes and, and how much better Saturdays can go and how much more pleasurable it is when you actually do what you need to throughout the week. I think that that's going to help them uh, do this with a little bit more consistency. I do think that it's possible that they aren't as sharp as they were against Mississippi State. That was supposed to be a statement game. Uh, but Tennessee's a better football team than we thought they were going to be coming into this year. Now, granted, Hendon Hooker, it looks like he's going to be out. And we'll talk more about that and what that means, you know, going from Hooker to probably Joe Milton, uh, maybe Harrison Bailey. But I would guess it would be Milton based off of what's happened up to this point. Um, but, you know, still, Tennessee has been a light years ahead of where we thought they would be. Uh, at this point under Josh Hype, when you give him a lot of credit and I understand it's a home game, that's a tough environment for Tennessee. But, um, you know, the, the hope is, is that Alabama can come in focused again. I just can't tell you how much because they're, they're 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids. And so you're the great point about being looking forward to the bye week and the Halloween stuff. Um, I, I don't think I could add much more to it than that, than just to say, I do think that you'll see a little bit more consistency moving forward because once, you know, it's kind of like that first guy that ever broke, I think it was like, what, the five-minute mile? You know, no one had ever done it before, and it wasn't, so, you know, it, it was never possible. And then the second that he broke it, like 12 people in the next year broke it because they now, something that was seemingly impossible before, the belief was before the hand that you would, like, you know, die of a heart attack if you broke a five-minute mile or something. And then once it was done and it became possible – then people, I think that's what's happened here with the blueprint. A lot of guys have seen how they they can approach 
a game week and how they can get the results they want on Saturdays. And so now that they have that blueprint, I think they're going to end up playing a lot better. A uh, very roundabout way to go about that. But anyways, we'll go to the next question. Um, Braden Griffiths on Twitter asked, do you think we see Latham, Arnold, Kool-Aid, or even veteran Moody, Jalen Moody, coming out of the bye week in a few weeks? Um, I wouldn't count on it. I mean, I, I, you know, Nick, you know, you can call it an NFL mentality if you choose to call it that, but let's look, Nick's been here 15 years and he has his ways. And, and one of the things that Nick Saban has been very consistent about is he picks his starters at the end of fall camp. And those are the starters. Now there, there have been guys that have been replaced for various reasons. Just this past weekend, we had a change in the lineup as DeMarco Helms went to the bench and he was replaced by Daniel Wright another veteran, but Daniel Wright played the whole game and Helms didn't appear to be hurt because he came in in garbage time uh, with, with the DBs at the end of the game. So there are changes that are made at times, but they're more rare. And, and secondly, Nick just doesn't substitute at just a few positions. You can tell before the season starts that there will be more than one running back that plays. There'll be more than just two or three receivers that play. There will be a, a rotation of defensive linemen that play. Everywhere else, there's one guy, and he's the dude, and he will play the whole game until the game is decided. That Look, that's how Nick has done it for 15 years. That's not Jimmy's vote or Clint's vote or how we think it should be. All that matters is how Nick Saban thinks it should be. And, he, he you know, from his track record, it looks like he sort of knows what he's talking about. So uh, Nick just doesn't substitute, and he rarely makes changes to the starting lineup. So, so no, I, I don't think there will be – freshman we see after the off week or Jalen Moody playing more snaps inside. I think these are the guys they're going to uh, live and die with. And as far as Nick is concerned, it's just a matter of improving those guys and them gaining more consistency and performance, as he says. But uh, no, I, I don't. If there weren't wholesale changes after the loss, then I don't believe there will be wholesale changes at all. And I understand why the question was asked. Um, you know, typically, if there's a time to kind of open up competitions, it's when you got a couple of weeks due to the bye week. So I understand, you know, the, the, the point right. of the question. Um, I just, you know, who are the guys, if you're elevating some of these players to getting more playing time, who is it coming at the expense of? You know, if it's right. Kool Aid, it's either Josh Jove or Jalen Armour Davis. Doubt it. Uh, you know, some people have not been happy with. With Jalen Armand Davis's performance, um, he just got named Player of the Week by the coaching staff. Um, so you know it, it's very different. And so did Josh Joe, by the way. So it's, it, I mean, how much, um, you know, do we really think that he's going to cut in his playing time a whole lot? I don't necessarily think so. Um, you know, Jalen Moody. I understand that Christian Harris and you know Henry Tooto, both those guys have kind of not lived up to expectations. Do we think that either one of them is at a point where their playing time is going to be decreased to get Moody involved? No, I do not. Uh, you know, Terry and Arnold, same situation, you know, at, at whose expense, you know, it would have to be a cornerback or star um, or safety, you know, which is whatever I thought he was going to play. Uh, I don't really see, I mean, he hadn't been playing safety. So I don't think that's going to be some kind of drastic, Oh, we're switching you from corner to safety. And now you're going to start, or now you're going to play a lot. Now doubt that. Uh, and at corner, same situation. So don't think it with him. The only one that I would say maybe would be JC Latham. And that's, you know, you're, you, you saw Chris Owen show improvement against Mississippi state if he continues to show improvement against Tennessee, how in the world do they say, hey, we see you getting better, but we're still going to open up this competition and maybe bench you? Um, I don't really see that happening either. But if he has another poor performance against the Vols on Saturday, 
Um, and I'm not saying that it would necessarily be J.C. Latham. It could be a number of guys. But I do think at that point, the most the position that is most threatened uh, to be re- replaced would be their right tackle. So, all right. I agree. Next, uh, next question on the list, the final question, because we have taken forever, because I like to tell random stories. I don't even know how that, uh, that break in the five-minute mile thing even applied. Like, I was halfway through the story, and I was like, this doesn't th- – these two things don't mix. Um, <laughs> but that There's- happens. There is no way Damian George is breaking five minutes in the mile. <laughs> you know what? You say that, but uh, I remember when, uh, when we were in high school. Here we go with the stories again. I remember when I was in high school, the baseball team got a new baseball coach, and he was a, he was a hard-ass man, and he like, made the entire team. Because I have a lot of friends that played baseball. I was never good enough. I tried out when I was in middle school, and, and it, it didn't go very well. I was really fast running the bases back then. But as soon as they, I tried to catch a ground ball, um, and it rolled up my arm and hit me in the chin, I was like, I probably don't need to do this. And I struck out like twice in T-ball back in the day. And, you know, you swing enough and you keep missing the ball. They just tell you to sit down. Great job. But um, he did uh, make all my friends, uh, in order to make the team that year, you had to break like a six-minute mile or something. And there was some pretty, you know, William was one of them, uh, you know, big boys uh, that I was like, yeah, there's no, I hope you enjoyed your baseball career because there's no way you're doing that. And it's like my football coach used to say, it's amazing what you can do when you have to. So, <laughs> but yeah, you're right. David George would never break a five minute mile. Um, anyways, uh, the last question, Hampton Sipper on Twitter, uh, who's, by the way, does his own podcast and does a great job with it. Um, you know, always like enjoy listening to stuff, and it's not just about you guys listening to us. I enjoy going out and finding your stuff too, and I think that you guys do a great job with it. And Hampton's certainly one of them that does. Um, but he asked, "What is a schematic approach or alteration you'd like to see Golding make to improve?" I know the Aggies keyed in on a tendency we had with our linebackers or outside linebackers taking the motion man. They did that all game to take thirty-one out of the play. Also, pick fifteen a few times. Can't wait li- to listen. And that was a great observation because it's exactly what happened. Everybody kept wondering why in the world is Will Anderson Jr. dropping into coverage when he's by far your best defensive player and, and his bread and butter is, is getting out to the quarterback. And it's like they were scheming it that way. And that was something that they took advantage of Alabama. And you're like, okay, well, you need to make some sort of adjustment and allow him to get to the quarterback. And it's just the game plan they had going in that you couldn't really do that. And and I think that it's something that Alabama learned from. Um, but, you know, there is – they're going to have to do something to correct that because you can't get into that situation a lot. It's going to happen sometimes. It even happened against Mississippi State. There's one play in particular when he was going against Charles Cross, by the way, because as soon as I saw 31 lined up across in their left tackle instead of against Scott Lashley, my ears immediately would, my ears, my, you know, I would immediately perk up. And then, of course, he dropped in coverage on that play. And I was like, dang, I wanted to see, you know, that rip. Um, so it's, it's, it's going to happen. He's going to drop in coverage a little bit. He's an outside linebacker, not a true defensive end. But I don't. I think that A and M had him dropping back in coverage a little bit too much against Texas A and M. So um, I, I don't think that necessarily that was what Hampton was asking. Uh, he's just asking for any kind of schematic approach or alteration that he'd make. Do, Jimmy, do you have anything? Uh, just a slight. I mean, just not. I mean, you know, for the most part, I, 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 you know, I, Pete did a really good job last week, and he did a really good job against Ole Miss. Uh, I know we were disappointed at Texas A and M, of course. Um, but you know, I think two of the past three weeks, uh, Pete has done a good job of the defense. The only change that I would suggest, or the only change that maybe I would like to see is after the Drew Sanders injury, I would, uh, completely drop, uh, nickel rabbits and go back to how we've always done it. Uh, 
and, and have three defensive linemen on the field at all times and nickel, three big guys and just one outside linebacker, which would almost always be Will Anderson. Uh, and, and my reason being, hey, look, if you didn't have if you didn't have Chris Allen and you didn't have Drew Sanders on the football team, you wouldn't have spent all that time in the spring and fallen nickel rabbits anyway. I mean, you only did this because of the depth, because of Chris Allen, because of Drew Sanders. Uh, that's why you did it in the first place. I wouldn't just stick with it just because we have another body to throw out there in Dallas Turner. I would just kind of go back to what's always worked for us. And we did do that some. There was more uh, of a traditional nickel look for us uh, in the Mississippi State game. Uh, they didn't score a touchdown. Uh, they throw the ball all the time, a game you would think we would want a bunch of pass rushers on the field. And we were still able to pressure uh, State in the second half with some blitzes. Uh, and, of course, Will Anderson is kind of a one-man wrecking crew when it comes to that anyway. Uh, but, yeah, if I have a schematic change to make, it would just be, hey, I would uh, I would just sort of ditch that whole nickel rabbit idea until Drew comes back. Now, when Drew comes back, I would go right back to it. And it's not because schematically I love it. It's just this. Uh, I'm a big believer in dudes. I think it's about the Jimmys and the Joes and not the X's and the O's. And the fact of the matter is Drew Sanders, when he's healthy, he's one of our 11 best football players on defense. He's one of the 11 best players on the team. So I would rather have him on the field than to pick a name, Byron Young or Justin Aboigby, who I think are good players. But Drew Sanders, to me, is an exceptional player. Uh, I, I would have Drew out there. I know you're giving up some size, but you're also gaining some talent. <laughs> you know, so uh, until Drew comes back, I would ditch the nickel rabbits. That that would be my uh, suggestion. Well, the good part about having LeBron Ray uh, back healthy is that you now have a guy who has played a lot. He's been banged up. I get that, but he knows the defense inside and out. He can play right. some edge. He can play some interior stuff. So you can do different things with him. And, and I think the coaching staff just trusted his ability to do his job more consistently than a true freshman in Dallas Turner. Um, and so he ended up playing. And the good part about it, you know, in that particular game, you were like, huh, I don't know how I feel about it. You're getting an assignment football more. But from a pure pass rush standpoint, even though I think LeBron Ray can be a good interior pass rusher, being a guy that's, you know, playing, you know, a 4-3 defensive end essentially with his hand in the dirt, you know, bending, uh, you know, winning with speed and, and stuff like that off the edge. You don't really see that from him. But then they also did some things where they walked Christian Harris up as kind of being an, a, a, an outside linebacker, and then LeBron Ray essentially became a 3-4 defensive end uh, in those situations. So that makes a lot of sense, right? But then also, you know, going into this Tennessee game, you you want that bigger bodied out there, a guy out there on the edge. Because Tennessee's, you know, compared to Mississippi State, who's averaging less than 50 yards rushing per game, Tennessee is averaging close to 250 yards per game rushing. They're the number three rushing offense in the South uh, in the Southeastern Conference, and so I, I think having a guy like LeBron Ray, if, if Drew Sanders, which all indications point to, I mean, I haven't heard anything, but some of them were probably going to need to ask Nick Saban tomorrow during his uh, Wednesday evening press conference. But um, you know, all indications are it's going to be Drew Sanders going to be out again, so you're going to see LeBron Ray. And I think it makes a lot more sense. It made sense last week once you actually saw it being deployed. But I think it makes even more sense this week. Um, so there, there wouldn't be anything schematically. I do just, I like the aggressiveness on Saturday. You know, they were only rushing three and four guys. It's not like they were bringing, you know, blitz. You know, I was making, you know, comments on Twitter about, you know, blitzing, you know, a ton. They were blitzing, but it wasn't like they were sending five or six guys. They were some, but they were winning a lot with three or four. It's just you didn't know where the pressure was coming from. Um, and, and I think that that's something just being aggressive, keeping your foot on the gas, 
and causing quarterbacks as many issues as possible. It's going to have everything take care of itself. Those seven sacks, they helped that, you know, that pressure and getting that pressure early, that helped get the three interceptions. It was great plays by the defensive backs. Don't get me wrong. I thought Jordan Battle played one of the best games he's ever played in his career, not just because he had two interceptions. He was making tackles consistently. He showed range on that first interception, or excuse me, it might have been the second one, uh, the one that he returned for a touchdown. I thought he showed great range on that play uh, and made a great play on the football. Uh, you know, so that's not taken away from them. I just think that when you're able to consistently put a pass rush on a quarterback, he's more prone to making mistakes. And so figure out a way to make sure that that is as consistent as possible. And, you know, Tennessee's offensive line, they got some guys banged up. I don't know if Cade Mays is going to play. He's their best offensive lineman. Cooper Mays, his brother, I don't know what his status is. Um, they've lost guys from from last year. Last year, they're supposed to have one of the best offensive lines in the country. So um, we'll just kind of have to see. Uh, but I, I wouldn't necessarily change anything. I just say, hey, whatever you were doing on Saturday, as far as just the, your, you know, the way that you were approaching pressure, it seemed like they played a lot more freely. Alabama, I think, gets really caught up. I remember there was a play that Eric Reed made against Michael Williams in the Alabama LSU game back in the day. And I remember the commentator, I think it was the commentator, said something about you would never see Alabama's defensive backs making that play because they're so disciplined. And Eric Reed saw, you know, something that had happened, like a blown coverage, and went off of his guy to go, you know, make you know an outstanding play. And I'm sure everybody remembers the the, the catch where they both went up for it. And, and it, ever since then, I've really, you know, looked at Alabama's defense through that lens. They're so you know, obsessed with doing your job, being disciplined, and that's the way that, that's their correct approach. But sometimes you just got to cut loose and play some football. And I think on Saturday we saw that a lot more than we've seen from them, you know, in recent, you know, not just this season, but, it, you know, the last couple of seasons. And so I hope that they continue to, have, you know, take that approach, get creative, and just, you know, let, let some guys be some guys and go make plays because you've got talent all over the field. Um, and so, you know, we'll see how that plays out moving forward. But, Jimmy, is there anything else you want to add? No, no, that's good. It's good stuff. Yeah. That, good- yeah, it's been a great episode. I've enjoyed doing this. I always enjoy doing these. And, yes, we were able to get to all the questions that I was asked. Um, you know, I think, you know, if we didn't, then apologies. We'll definitely get you on the next one. And, and you know, we can throw one of these questions on, on you know, a, a Tennessee preview or something. You know, anytime that you have a question, ask it. And we'll, we'll work it in. We want to do these mailbag episodes but just because we've already done it for the week if there's something you want to ask we'll, we'll work it into another one. we can take 10 minutes to talk about it or 30 if it's me and jimmy um but anyways this has been fun always is uh we'll get a tennessee preview up later on this week probably on thursday so in a couple of days um what i've kind of done originally the plan was hey five days a week let's do a first and 10 uh episode and then you know three days a week probably let's get standard episodes and you know that's a lot. And so what I've kind of done, you know, and I'll probably end up getting back to that whole like daily, you know, uh, you know, first and 10 stuff where I do that every single day. But for now, if we plan to do a podcast that day, Jimmy and I, I'm not doing a first and 10 on days that we aren't there. You're going to get something at least five days a week. Uh, but for the time being, that's probably the way it's going to be. And then we'll get back to just doing the, 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 the daily first and 10, and then also doing podcasts on top of it. Cause the content is something that you guys seem to be enjoying. It's just wanted to give you guys an update if you haven't seen a whole as many of those, you know, recently. Um, but anyways, that's going to do it for today's episode. Like I said, we'll be doing a Tennessee preview later on. Jimmy, I appreciate you joining me, man. This is always fun. And we'll, we'll potentially have some big news coming up soon as far as, you know, some, some things that we have in the works. So I'm looking forward to that. Yep. Yep. Thanks so much for uh, listening and subscribing to On3. You can do it today if you haven't already. $10 for the entire 
year of uh of great content not just for me and clint but the entire on three if you subscribe to the bama on three site you get uh all of the on three content uh and, and some of our national writers just just the recruiting alone and let me tell you we got a preview of the database that's coming uh the on three database is going to dramatically change what college football fans think of, of databases before the player pages are Un, it's it's going to be unbelievable to say that that that's worth ten dollars alone is an understatement. Uh, the on three database is a first of its kind. Uh, the amount of content is stunning. So uh, just for that alone, you guys need to sign up. When Shannon, uh, Terry, and, and all these guys were talking about you know how revolutionary it was going to be, there was a part of me. Um, I was like, I, I don't understand how much more you can add than we've already had given to us. Seeing those things today that we saw, uh, kind of getting a preview of it, I was blown away. Things that I wouldn't have even thought about being important and, and just being able to track and keeping up with trends. And, you know, I mean, it, it's incredible all the information that these pages are going to have, this database is going to have for you guys. Uh, Jimmy's 100% right. And it, it was something that, you know, after our morning meeting, which is where we got to see it, um, that was one of the first things I was going to talk about by the time we got on, on the episode today. And then of course, you know, knowing me, if, if I don't write something down, I completely forget about it. So I'm glad that you brought it up because I was stunned. It looks sharp. It looks extremely clean. It, the information is incredible. People are going to be obsessed with it and you're going to be able to keep up with recruiting like you've never done before. And it's going to be a lot of fun. I can't wait. I mean, you know, I, I enjoy recruiting. I keep up with recruiting. It's not what I do here for on three. Um, but, you know, I, I certainly enjoy keeping up with it. And just knowing that I'm going to have access to a lot of this stuff that I didn't realize that, you know, would be so beneficial. I can't wait uh, for it to come out. It's supposed to come out later this month. And then they're going to continue to add to it. And, and you're going to be able to get, all, you know, a lot more stuff um, later on. So, Appreciate you bringing that up, Jimmy. Appreciate you hopping on here with me. Great stuff. And, you know, we'll talk to, to you guys soon. We appreciate you listening in. This has been the Bam on 3 Show, and I'm your host, Clint Lamb.